Welcome back to 8079, Year of Vesuvius, episode 21, June. Another day, another month. What does the Minologia Rustica have to say? June, 30 days, knowns on the 5th. Day, 15 hours. Night, 9 hours. Solstice on the 8th before the Calends of July. That is to say, June 24. Sun in Gemini, domain of Mercury. Cutting of hay, vineyards are harrowed. Named for Juno, of course, a.k.a. Hera, wife of Jupiter, and her temple is up on the Capitoline Hill along with Jupiter and also Minerva, forming a celestial triumvirate. Juno, the wife of Jupiter, a sign of marital harmony, if with its many rough patches, Jupiter could not resist mortal women, much to Juno's irritation and to the delight of Renaissance artists. Jupiter the Swan and Leda, Jupiter the Bull and Europa, Jupiter the Satyr and Antiope, Jupiter the Reign of Gold and Danae, and, arguably strangest of all, the coupling with Euromedusa, who bore Jupiter a son named Myrmidon, after the form the father took on this occasion, that of an ant, presumably to escape the notice of the all-seeing Juno. Perhaps it is not a great surprise that June was not considered a good month for marriage. Well, the first half, at least. Ovid claims that the high priestess of Jupiter gave the go-ahead for Ovid's daughter to wed any time after the Ides of June, that is to say, June 15th. June after the sacred Ides is good for brides and good for bridegrooms, but the first part of this month was found unsuitable for marriages. Back to the name. Not all thought it was to honor Juno, and some were bold enough to say so. One school of thought held that Lucius Junius Brutus should get the credit. Who he... First of the Roman Republicans, the leader of the coup that overthrew Tarquinius Superbus, last king of Rome. He was also the founder of the Junia family, and as such, an ancestor of the Brutus, who helped assassinate the king in all but name, Julius Caesar. If the month is indeed in honor of him, and again, not everyone believes this story, he was the first mortal to have a month named for him setting a precedent for Caesar to snag July and Augustus to snag August. There are ironies. If the monarchist in you doesn't like that story, there's one more, a bit more tenuous, and requires that you take the month of May, Latin Maius, to come from the comparative maiores, the elders, that is, the respected members of the Senate, in contrast to them are the youthful ones, the juniores, the juniors. Seems a little far-fetched to me, but folk etymology will be heard, and some seem to like it. So much for the name. On to holidays. The Calends of June, Calendae Fabarii, rather, Calends of the Beans. Beans are nice. Though Pythagoras and his followers noted that they had the same texture as flesh, 
and refused to eat them on religious grounds, believing that they held dead souls. When you recall that Greek pneuma, wind, as in pneumatic, also means spirits, breath of life, the connection becomes clear. We note the effect of beans on the digestive system and their final appearance at the end of that process. Diogenes Laertius spells it out. Abstain from beans because they are flatulent and partake most of the breath of life. The suspicion was not universal, certainly not for devotees of the goddess Karna, also honored on June 1st. She took a special interest in people's internal organs, a dish of beans and bacon, the traditional dish of the day. Her temple on the Caelian Hill, coincidentally, was established by none other than that same Lucius Junius Brutus who kicked out the kings. If nothing else, that affiliation seems to bolster the argument for his name and the month's name having something to do with one another. She also took an interest in hinges, which would have made her a good match for Janus and his opening and closing doors, as indeed it happened. Born a nymph and constantly having to put off importunate young men, her way of dealing with them was to say, good idea, you go first, I'll follow, and then steal away when their backs were turned. This worked a treat until Janus came along. Janus, recall, the two-faced god, one looking forward, one backwards. No place to run unseen. What did she get out of this? To be goddess of hinges. Smooth operator, our Janus. He could at least have given her flowers, but no, his idea of a plant-related gesture was to give her a thorn. A white thorn, mind you, with which to repel harm from doorways. Ovid follows up this nasty story with the story of how Karna, a.k.a. Crane, was able to use that same thorn in an involved ritual that saves a five-day-old baby from the violent attentions of some evil nightbirds. So, some good comes out of the story. Enough of gods and myths. What's going on back at the farm? Out in the countryside... Hay cutting is pretty straightforward, though June seems a bit early to modern farmers. Seven to eight months after planting is the modern standard, signaled by the appearance of flowers on the plants. Perhaps the Romans had a different cultivar. How about the vineyards? The stone says that the field should be au contour, harrowed, but that doesn't listen quite right. More of a pre-season sort of task, surely. Uh, perhaps they meant more weeding. Can't ever have too much weeding, as any gardener will tell you. Well, most gardeners. As to the vines themselves, with any luck at all, they should be enjoying nothing but healthy growth. This is the time for some youthful vegetal muscle stretching, growth spurts, and the forming and spreading of leaves. For the past few weeks, the vines have been growing between 5 and 15 centimeters a day, popping out small buds for future use. Vine wranglers keep an eye on the increasing weight. Anything drooping under the weight of it all must be lifted and trellised. Now is also the time for thinning the plant itself. Any shoots or suckers without buds must be cut. Rising sap and falling sunlight 
must be dedicated to those parts of the plant that will produce grapes. June's weather can be mutable. Sharp temperature drops or rises do nothing good for grapevines. Nor do pests, another constant worry for the farmer. Not much to be done about the former, but there were time-honored tricks for the latter. Pliny the Elder informs us that placing a crayfish in the middle of a garden will ward off caterpillars. One suspects that farmers were pulling his leg. For those doubtful of crustaceans, there were other more credible solutions. Organic farmers take note. The Greek treatise Geoponica has a number of sage suggestions for repelling insects. A decoction of lupin flower and wild cucumber, lacking only sprayers to make them thoroughly modern. Averro endorses amurca, the leavings from crushed olives. Boil that up in copper cauldrons, add salt, and you can do for ants, moles, caterpillars, and, as a bonus, noxious weeds. The wonder is the stuff didn't kill vines as well. Perhaps it did. So beginneth the month, beginning of summer, a pleasant time as is possible in temperate northern climates. Next time, the subject is fish sauce, as critical to Romans as wine and flowers. Again, in closing, consider the hat being passed. There are donation options on the links listed. All money is welcome. Until next time, thank you for listening.